This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Jeff will be back tomorrow. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. The next hour and, I don't know, hour and a bit. Math not the strong suit. Pleased to be joined on the line by one of my favorites that appears on this program, one of my favorite people on Twitter, and the fact that he's a wrestling fan makes him that much better. Former NHL goaltender and daily face-off analyst Mike McKenna joins me. Mike, how are you this morning? Man, I'm great. Thanks for the good intro. I, we're not here to talk hockey. We are here to talk wrestling today. I want to get your thoughts on <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux behind Corey Graves last night on WWE Monday Night Raw. I couldn't believe it. And then afterwards, there was a tweet from the WWE with Bruce Boudreaux going over the match with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Matt, thanks for having me on. What did you think of last night's spectacle before we get to hockey? Bruce Boudreaux being a wrestling fan is my favorite thing ever. Like he was in Slapshot, which is amazing. He's one of the most animated coaches. But the fact that he loves wrestling is one of my favorite things about Bruce Boudreaux. Like at the draft when Kevin Owens came over to him and Bruce was like awestruck. It was one of the, it, he was like a little kid. Like I absolutely loved it. I even, Mike, I even wore my NWO shirt on TV today, just in honor Whoa. of all that happening. So yeah, well, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready and raring to go. Um, speaking of ready and raring to go, I know you don't really want to talk about hockey, but we probably should talk a little bit about hockey. Um, Deal. Let's man, do it. Sergei Bobrovsky. I, I tweeted it last night. Like the thought of anybody scoring even two goals on him at this point in the playoffs seems like a, it seems crazy to me. Now you have, you have played with Sergei Bobrovsky, been in the organization with him. What have you noticed about him from maybe the regular season to now in the difference in his game? Is it merely just how Florida is playing in front of him? Or is this a, a confidence thing at this point? Well, I think a big factor of it is that Florida has played better in front of Sergei Bobrovsky. You can't get past that. I mean, there were games that I watched this year where, in my eyes, Florida just simply gave up too many loose opportunities in their own defensive zone. The penalty kill was atrocious. Odd man rushes go in the other direction. And they've really been able to tighten that up. Does it happen occasionally? Absolutely, it does. But if you can keep if you can keep Bob to be in below 15 chances in a game, high danger ones, He's going to get the job done, man. And it's always been like that with him. The thing about Bob is that, you know, he has had moments in his career that have been pretty streaky. And limiting those streak that streakiness has always been the hard part uh, for him. Because for me, I think Bobrovsky is a goaltender that doesn't need to manufacture energy. Okay, a lot of goalies do. He does not. He exudes energy. He has to rein it in. He has to control it. And I think he's been very economical in his movements in these last couple weeks, month here, especially in playoffs. How many times? You haven't seen him outside of his crease flopping around, right? You've seen him in control. You've seen him being able to get through and control his rebounds, which has been a huge factor in this series against a team like Carolina. He's just dialed, man. And you want to give it one little extra tidbit here, Matt? I love the fact that Bobrovsky's game took off this year when he finally ditched those boring all-white pads and <laughs> went to something with some color on it. Now he's got blue and gold and red, and he looks sick in the net. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference, man. That all-white gear, I can't stand it. Uh, and I'm glad that he made that change because not only is he playing great, but he looks good in the crease too. That is such a goalie thing to say, Mike. It really is. I, I and know. I and I appreciate it because I am a man who likes flashy colors, although you couldn't tell the way I was dressed today. But I, I'm a man who loves flashy colors. So that would be something that I, I would totally be on board with. Now, this is this is not something that's sustainable over the course of a season. I understand that. Like he's setting records, most saves in the first three games of a conference final. And now we look at the contract and that has always been a burden on the, the Florida Panthers, especially after they signed Spencer Knight to the extension that he got that pays him, you know, over $4 million. It's really interesting in that I, I said earlier, if if they win the Stanley Cup, it doesn't matter what you pay Sergey Bobrovsky the rest of his contract, and it doesn't matter what you paid him before. But do you see enough from him now that you look at and go, okay, maybe he's not a $10 million goaltender because that is unsustainable over the course of a season, but... Do you have a little bit more faith in his game that he's finally kind of figured something out here in Florida and that's something he can build on even going into next year whenever that may start for him? Yeah, and I think it's always been there. I mean, even talking to Florida Panthers players last season, the year before, 
there were some real glimpses where they just believed in Bob and knew he could pull off whatever the team put in front of him. But it comes with the team playing better defensively. Like it really relates. It's it's all interconnected for goaltending. Um, and I think that if you're Bobrovsky, you hope that you can keep up the pace the team's playing at. But let's face it, they're on a magical mystery tour right now, man. Yeah. Like you can't really explain the vibe that's going on in that room. Watching Maddie Kachuk go tearing off the ice after both those OT winners. And like just the joy that's exuding from that team in that locker room. And even from head coach Paul Maurice, like you can see that they're very loose. So, you know, maybe it's not sustainable, but let's not forget here. Bobrovsky was the number one goaltender available in 2019 in free agency. Mm-hmm. He's, he's won two Vezina trophies. He, he carried Columbus through times that were not good. He deserved to get paid. I think there's going to be a real hesitancy to ever see two digits, <laughs> double digits on a goaltender's salary ever again. But I saw somebody come at me with this argument the other day that Bob hasn't been worth it. He's been a complete liability. And I watched, looked at that comment and I went, are you crazy? This guy has the fifth most wins in the NHL since he became a Florida Panther. All right. So that's not a li- that's not a complete liability. That's not a liability. That's a goaltender who's been at 9, 905, largely because, yeah, he's had to work through some things. A new team, some poor defensive play in front of him, a loose structure. But he's always had it within him to be able to analyze and work hard enough to get to where he needs to be. So I believed in Bob, but I wasn't sure he could be this consistent. So if he can harness that over the course of a full season, is he ever going to be worth $10 million? I tell you what, they win a Stanley Cup, it doesn't matter yeah. at all. Yeah. And honestly, this run, I think, is proving that he's at the stage where, you know, it's worth it, man. And you get the guy out there that's the best you could find that's supposed to lead you. No matter what's happened in the past couple of years, right now it's paying off. And this is the closest that this Panthers team has been to a cup since the 90s. Yeah, well, what are we talking about? You got it's, What have you done for me lately? And Sergey Bobrovsky's done a lot for them lately, actually. That's um, right. Okay, what's your take on this series? Because... Three games decided by a goal. Last night was one nothing. The other two games went into overtime. I mean, coming back from oh down oh three is not ideal for anybody, especially a team that you know doesn't have the high end scoring that other teams may have. And I'm talking about the Hurricanes here. Is do you think there's still like obviously there's a chance, but is the Bob factor just too much for Carolina, especially without an elite scorer in their lineup? Well, a couple of months ago, I wrote an article at Daily Faceoff where I called the Hurricanes Stanley Cup pretenders. Now, I think I was a little bit off base on that, Matt, at the time. and I, my, But I did predicate it on the fact that you knew that Svechnikov, out. Pacioretty, out. And then even when Tara Vinen went out, that was a big blow to this Carolina team that was already struggling to score. Now, he's back in the lineup, which has helped. But I, I still think that generating offense for Carolina – is a chore. And the hard part is that it's really been at five on five recently, which is their bread and butter. So if they can't generate a five on five, they can't expect a 17% power play to come through. There's got to be improvement. The flip side of that is that this series, the three games, the first game was pretty wide open. Now, and I understand that it was, it was a, you know, six period affair. It was a long game, seven, I guess. Um, uh, but there were times where they went back and forth with chances in the game itself. Okay. I don't think it was a track meet, but they happened. Second game of the series, still a little bit wide open. Last game, though, last night, I think it was pretty close, pretty tight game again. I didn't think the Florida Panthers would be the team to carry those tight games. But right now, when your difference is one goal, two goals, the goaltending of Bobrovsky, the resiliency of the players in front of them, and the lack of five on five out of Carolina. I mean, they got to win four out of five games, right? Three out of four games. I just, I don't see it happening straight up. But you can't count any team out in the NHL, especially as structured as Carolina Hurricanes have played. Yeah, I'll never count out a Rod Brindamore coach team because I think he is, even though they're in the conference final again, I think he's still an underrated coach in what he does and what he wins with. I think that's super important. I mean, that defense is really good, but... Rod Brindamore is an excellent coach. Uh, Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff and former NHL goaltender joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So I wanted to ask you about Jake Ottinger because I'm watching him play, and, I, and even in the Seattle series and even in this series against Vegas, albeit it's only 2 nothing, he kind of looks uncomfortable to me. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because, you know, he thrives when he has a little bit more work, but there's something about the way Jake Ottinger is playing right now that – makes me believe because I said Dallas was the best team going into this final four because they had Ottinger 
because he's such a money goalie, especially late in series. But he hasn't played up to snuff, at least in the first couple of games. And you can't blame him for all the goals. But let's not forget, he was pulled a couple of times in the Seattle series. Like, there's something going on. It just looks uncomfortable to me. Am I crazy here? Uh, Yeah. Only from the standpoint that I don't don't think he's uncomfortable. Okay, <laughs> so Matt, hang on, Matt. I'm going to vindicate you here, though. All right, okay, buddy? I'm I'm good with that. Um, I don't think he's uncomfortable. I do think that the Golden Knights have been able to exploit a couple things about Ottinger that were pre-existing conditions. Okay, um, and to me, that's made some of the goals look uh, savable, obtainable. Right, like, uh, and, and to me, like, I look at the game winner from the other night, Chandler Stevenson's rebound goal off the Shea Theodore shot, and everything about that goal is what is on the scouting report on how to score on Jake Ottinger. You're coming down the wing, shoot at blocker side. He doesn't rotate well. He'll move laterally into the puck. That rebound will be there. It was to a T. I do think the Golden Knights are targeting blocker side on him a bit. I do think that Ottinger also kind of struggles to rotate at times, but he's so tall. He's 6'5", and he's got really rangy legs that, you know, a lot of the time he can get himself out of those problems. The tough part for Ottinger is that he's playing against a team in the Golden Knights that are very good defensively. So Dallas can't just turn it up and put four goals in the net, right? Mm. They can't score their way out of Ottinger uh, allowing one or two extra than he should. So I, I think that's it. I think they're they're kind of targeting him. There's times where I think he's a little bit further out of, a, out of his crease than he needs to be, and that does lead to those rebound chances, especially on rushes. Um, but again, he doesn't rotate that well. So if the Golden Knights can move that puck laterally and get it on and off the blade quick, it's been to their benefit. So that's one factor of it. Um, but I also just think that he hasn't shown well yet, period, right? Like, And you look at him in games one to four, of playoff games coming into this series. 915 save percentage. Games five through seven in playoff series, 942. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy that thrives on pressure. Like he wants the ball. Give him the ball. Let him run with it. Give him the microphone. Let him entertain the crowd. I won't root against Jake Ottinger like that because I think we're going to see game three, game four, where it's going to be. Game three is pivotal here. He's got to bring it. He's going to have to make one extra save, and he needs Dallas to be better in front of him. They can't have a turnover behind the net and lose coverage in the center slot. It just cannot happen if they're going to try to beat the Golden Knights again, like Carolina, are just very structured in how they attack. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up the the stuff from behind the net and him and not rotating well because what I, I went back and looked at a, a bunch of the goals, almost basically the goals that have been scored the last two series on Jake Ottinger. And to me, it looks like he has a really hard time finding the puck. I know when a puck bounces off the backboards and you're trying, like, I understand that that is, it's not easy, but even passes out to the slot, whether the guy's covered or not, it does feel like his, he doesn't react well to the pucks coming from behind the net. Is that something that is just all goalies struggle with? Or is that something specifically because you talk about how he struggles to rotate that maybe that's more of an issue for him than some other guys? Well, and that is something that you've pointed out that can be indicative of a goalie who's maybe not not just tracking as well, but reading the play as well. And I consider Ottinger to be a very cerebral goalie. I think he can think his way through the game very well. Uh, there is an added factor when the puck comes off the end boards. That is something that Vegas has done throughout the season is they will – there's a term that I first heard when I played in Belleville under Troy Mann as our head coach. And he used to say, expand the net. And what that meant is that defensemen forwards, they would purposefully shoot wide of the net – to try to get the puck to bounce off the boards. Short side, far side didn't matter, but you're also looking for tips, deflections. That's something Vegas does very well. Theodore, Petrangelo, these guys know how to get it through like that. So, you know, I think it's one thing that Ottinger, I don't think he particularly struggles to find it. I think that sometimes when he gets caught further out of his crease than he needs to be, it becomes a struggle, right? If he would take just a little bit of depth away, maybe on these point shots and maybe play toes at the top of the crease instead of heels, he might have a better chance to just get his eyes on the puck a little bit quicker and get back to it because you do think about the bank and goal in overtime that, that that lost the game of the series for them. And then you think about puck moving quickly to the slot and his eyes not on it and him not square and chasing a little bit. He needs his upper body working in concert with his lower body, and that only happens when you get your eyes on the puck very quickly. 
I got one more here. We got a couple minutes before before we let you go. Aiden Hill has been excellent since taking over for Vegas uh, in the net after Brossois' injury. A 2.28 goals against average, 930 save percentages in seven, seven appearances. A lot of it obviously has to do with him and his work ethic, but what kind of influence do you think Sean Burke has had on his game? I think it's pretty simple. I had Sean Burke as a goalie coach in the Arizona Coyotes organization. Uh, he's remained a friend over the years, somebody I'd see in the rink often when I was working with the Golden Knights, and he was a member of the Coyotes and, and later as a member of the Montreal Canadiens and their staff. And for me, everything about Sean Burke just screams patience in the crease. Let the game come to you. Don't force the issue. And with Aiden Hill, that's something I think that he'd been guilty of in the past was when the play got chaotic in front of him, he'd end up on his back. He'd end up on his stomach. In other words, I'm being nice. He was a, he was flopping all over the place. That's what his game looked like to me before about the midway point of this season. And I'll tell you what, by January, he had a great string of games. He got hurt towards the end of the season. But what he's done in playoffs, to me, he's been much more in control than I've ever seen from him. His natural ability is to read pucks. He's good at that. He tracks it pretty well. When his hands are free, he's at his best. But he's got to stay off his back and off his stomach. And to me, that is that patience. It's really exactly what Sean Burke preaches. He loves big goaltenders. I mean, we're talking Mike Smith, Devin Dubnik, people that have come through his system before and had success. Um, and I think Hill's kind of a, a microcosm of that. But let's not forget, that team in front in Vegas is playing so well in front of him. They've been able to do it with every goalie that's been there this year. So I don't want to take away from what Adam Hill has done. I'm a huge fan of it. He was phenomenal in games five and six against the Edmonton Oilers. But I think he is very much, again, like Bobrovsky, he's been a product of the team beyond, in front of him, and he's played beyond that expectation. And it's a credit to his work. Yeah, he's been he's been excellent. And a big reason why, like, you know, Sometimes, sometimes goalies come in and there's a reason why they're a backup and they can't make saves, but Aiden Hill has really done a good job and, and really made a claim to stay in Vegas past the season. He is an unrestricted free agent. So we'll see what they do. Actually, they have like a hundred unrestricted free agent goaltenders on the roster because they have like a hundred goalies. Um, Mike, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, and the next time I have you on, uh, we will chat wrestling. I promise. Well, we did our best to get a little bit in today. So when there's a little airspace, once the season's <laughs> over, I will be expecting that. But uh, thanks for having we'll me do. on today, Matt. Thanks, buddy. There he goes. Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff and former NHL goaltender. We're going to wrap up this hour. As we get set for hour two, Eric Francis will join me on the other side as Calgary has a new general manager. Craig Conroy will be announced 2 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Mountain Time in a press conference. But is that all? Will we see more for the Calgary Flames? Will it be Dave Nonis? Will we see a new title for Brad Pascal, as Elliot Freeman outlined in the first block? Could we see Jerome McGinley join in some capacity in the organization? And then, what is tops on the list of things to do for the Calgary Flames? Eric Francis from Sportsnet will join me at the top of Hour 2. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening to The Jeff Merrick Show, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. In-depth Blue Jays coverage with an analytical twist. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two, the Jeff Merrick show. Jeff will be back tomorrow. Matt Marchese filling in. Tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights, they could take a 3-0 series lead. God, I hope that doesn't happen. Like, we can't have we can't have two series go 3-0 in the conference finals. What is this, the NBA? We can't have that. Conference finals are done in eight days. This bit, we can't, we can't, this show will be taking a hiatus if, if the conference finals end in eight days. Uh, you can watch that one, 8 p.m. Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. Joining me on the line, there is some big news in Calgary, and who better to talk about it than my next guest, Eric Francis. Eric, how are you today, pal? 
I'm good, Matt. How are you, buddy? I'm except for the fact that one series is three zero and the other series is two zero, yeah. potentially three zero. I'm feeling okay. I feel like I can get through the next couple of days, but they can't be sweeps. We can't can't be the NBA right now. That that cannot happen. No, after that you'll be delving into the world of pickleball, or you'll be who knows what you'll be talking about. But it won't be NHL hockey if there's none on TV. Yeah, honestly, I have to. This is where the producer job comes in, where you go, oh, let's make stuff up to talk about for the next two weeks before the Stanley Cup final starts. That is a lot of fun, but we will do it because Jeff Merrick has crazy ideas. Um, okay, so Calgary is uh, is going to hold a press conference today, 2 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Mountain. Uh, expected and not expected, they're going to announce Craig Conroy as the new GM. But they also put in the new in the news release, uh, along with personnel in the Flames hockey operations department. Before we get to Craig Conroy as the GM, uh, do you expect that to be Jerome McGinley and Dave Nonis in that, or what? What are your expectations for that? Yeah, I do expect that. I mean, I'm, I'm at the saddle dome right now, and I was just in the media room, and there are there are three seats at the podium there. And so, of course, everybody's guessing, will that be Nonis? Will that be Maloney? Will that be Conroy? Will that be Aginla? Somebody won't be able to fit in there. Does Maloney just announce the three and then move off to the side, which is kind of the way his role is going to be moving forward? Or, you know, I, I think the only question is, will Jerome actually be here? Uh, you know, and if he is, you know, then he can shed some light on exactly how he sees his relationship with the team moving forward. And that's, that's really the sexy part. One of the sexiest parts of, you know, hiring a Craig Conroy, it always came with that, that uh, kind of like the presidential vice president, that sexy vice president. If you hired Conroy, you could get Jerome again. If you didn't hire Conroy, you were probably never going to get Jerome again, ever to come back uh, to the Calgary Flames because, they snubbed his best friend. So uh, how that relationship will work will be interesting. I, I Look, Jerome has been very clear and open about the fact he wants to coach his son for one more year at uh, Kelowna Rink uh, Hockey Academy, uh, which he's kind of run for the last handful of years, and that's very admirable. And I have no question, no doubt in my mind that he's going to do that. And then after that, his son's off to the WHL, and uh, Jerome will be free to, to pursue something that he says him and Craig Conroy have talked about for many, many, many years, which was, hey, one day wouldn't it be fun if we ran a franchise together? Boy, wouldn't that be fun? So we're going to see how that works. The first year, it'll probably just be an advisory role from Kelowna, and uh, Jerome may come out the odd time for meetings and such. But generally speaking, I don't think you're going to see Jerome again around the Saddle Dome very often for the first year. So the Craig Conroy hire, he's been in the he's been in the front office for the the Flames for I think it's twelve years. Uh, yeah. You know, learned everything, and and like you pointed out in your article, you know, Ken King kind of groomed him to be able to at least have a front office job, whether it's in Calgary or whether it's somewhere else. But he did kind of everything, and you you referred to him as like the utility man. Why is this such an important hire for the Calgary Flames? Well, I think anytime you hire your general manager, that's your architect. That's the guy who's going to not just set the, you know, set. I mean, he sets the tone for the whole organization. And, uh, you know, Brad Sherliving did a really good job setting the tone. Uh, the problem over the last little while here in Calgary was that the coach set the tone and, 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 and set the culture. And that's, that's wrong. That's, that's uh, ass backwards. So, obviously, the, the organization took steps to rectify that. And now it's up to Craig Conroy to come in here and, and – to be quite honest, you know, it's, this has not been a fun place for players to play over the last couple of years under Daryl Sutter. It's, it's a place where you can't celebrate the wins and the losses are absolutely unbearable. Uh, it's, it's just not a fun place. Craig Conroy is, is Mr. Upbeat, Mr. Smiley Face, Mr. Personality. He is going to bring such an air of relief to this organization. And so I think in that vein, that's why this is such an important hire. Everybody in this building... Like, I'm talking staffers. It doesn't matter what you do for the Calgary Flames. You love this guy. I don't care if you sell popcorn. If you're a fan, you love this guy. Not just because he was a, a real good soldier as a player, but also just as a personality. Anyone in this city who's ever run into Craig Conroy over the last 21 years that he's been in Calgary, they have a great story about how long he sat there. And at some point, they probably had to say, look, I got to go, Craig. Thanks for chatting with me. But I, I actually got to be somewhere because Craig will just talk and talk and talk and talk. And so people love him. So... This is a, a day of great celebration in this city. You know, can he do the job? Well, time will tell. I think he can. Uh, the question is not that today, though. Today's just, wow, how great it is that a guy who put in his time is finally being rewarded appropriately. And when you talk about a guy who did everything, 
when Ken King hired him like less than a week after he retired from the game, he he's done everything from scouting to um, assistant general manager. There was a time there when Bill Peters was fired that he went behind the bench and was coaching for a little while. So when we say he's done everything in this organization, he has, including at the end of his career, he was on waivers. He went from being their, you know, one of their best players for several years. To, uh, he's done it all. So it, it is a fun day for this organization in this city. How important was it to hire from within here? Because there were other names that were out there. Obviously, Dave Notice's name was out there in whatever capacity he interviewed for. But, you know, they, they settle on Craig Conroy, a guy who's been in the organization for a long time as both a player and a coach. Or sorry, player and, a, and an assistant general manager. Is that something that was important for this organization? Or do you think that's just window dressing and it's just a bonus that he was in the organization for as long as he has been? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say this. I think it's important for any company, whether it's, you know, Fan 590, any company in the world. You got to show people that if they work hard and do the work and they do a good job, that there's chance to advance. If you work in a place where you don't feel like you're ever going to be rewarded, you, you kind of say, what's the point? And you, you're more apt to move on. Craig Conroy toughed it out. He had a chance at one point to go back and coach, be the coach and the big shot and run the entire program where he played college hockey in his hometown. And not only did he play there, his dad and two of his uncles played there. So that would have meant a whole lot to him as well. But he kept pursuing the dream of one day, you know, running this organization. And I, I think it's, it's so, you know, I, I do think they did a legitimate search. I think they talked to some really good candidates. Stan Bowman, to me, was the most decorated of all of them that they could have hired. Um, but at the end of the day, um, this organization had kind of, I think, talking to people inside it through this process, they, they, they were going to have a hard time hiring someone who hadn't been a GM before and was going to get a first shot at it and, and, and doing that in, over, the, over top of Craig Conroy. If you were going to hire someone who didn't have GM experience, um, it had to be Craig Conroy. Otherwise, I think there was going to be a, there were going to be a lot of questions being asked and a lot of noses at a joint. And certainly, Craig Conroy would have left the organization and gone somewhere else with you know with Joel McGinley or wherever you know wherever that would have been. So, and I would say it's funny you ask that because in that same vein, I think that they may just very well be looking at their next coach in the same way. Mitch Love is their highly touted AHL coach. Two years he's been the coach for the minor league team. Two years he's been coach of the year in the American Hockey League. It's really hard to think that you could overlook him and that he would then stay in the organization. So whether they make Love an assistant coach or whether they make him the head coach here, that'll be very interesting to see. But I think that you know, in terms of the first move he's got to make, which is the coach, I would be uh, – well, I know that the top of the list are three internal candidates, and that's Ryan Huska, uh, you know, Kirk Muller, and Mitch Love. I'd be, I'd actually at this point be pretty surprised if they went elsewhere. There's a lot of enticing names out there. Uh, Alex Tangay, Mark Savard. These are guys who have connections, strong connections to Aginla and to uh, Craig Conroy. But I think they're going to look in-house, you know, just like they did with Conroy for their head coach. Eric Francis from Sportsnet joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Okay, so you mentioned Mitch Love there. You mentioned Ryan Huska. And, uh, and who was the other one that you mentioned there, sorry? The other Kirk one, Muller. Kirk Muller, sorry. I, I, that was the one I probably should have remembered. Um, <laughs> so in all of in saying all of those names, which of the one gives you the most confidence in getting Jonathan Huberdeau going? Because that, I would assume, is at or near the top of the list of things to get done as the head coach of the Calgary Flames, especially after not only the trade was made, but the subsequent extension was signed for Jonathan Huberdeau, who's going to be in Calgary for a long time, where does that rank in, of importance for the coach to get that one right? You know, the name Andrew Burnett's been thrown out a lot, and I'm sure the Flames will talk to him as a potential candidate for, for the head coaching job. And you know that under Burnett, you know, in Florida, Huberto was very, very productive. So we know that works. I think it's pretty short-sighted to hire a coach based on one player and what you hope that, that he can bring out of one player. You obviously wouldn't do it just for Huberto. That would be a huge factor in why you'd hire Andrew Burnett. And I, I think that you've solved the Andrew or the Huberto problem by getting rid of Daryl Sutter. I mean, it was very evident that those two did not see eye to eye. He he just could not get adjusted here and had everything to do with well having his life turned upside down for a trade he never asked for and never wanted, but also coming to a situation where the style of play, the style of coach, the culture was incredibly 
different from the one that he was so comfortable with in uh, in Florida. So I think they've solved that problem for the most part. I mean, that remains to be seen. Uh, hey, whatever coach you get, the number one goal is how do you inspire our players to be better? And your most important player, yes, here is Jonathan Huberto. So whoever they hire, they're going to want to make it. They want to believe that that guy is capable of, of getting the most out of Jonathan Huberto again, like he did, like, you know, like he was in Florida. The other, the other part of the equation here is how do you get the most out of Jacob Markstrom? And and I know that Jeff has made the point on this program many times about the series with Edmonton, which it really felt like that kind of broke Jacob Markstrom. And there, there was some flashes of it last year, but they were very few and far between. Is that, is that a, is that a Markstrom issue? Is that a structure issue? Is that a personnel in front of him issue? Like how much does the coach play into that as well? You know, I, I think the coach played into that a lot of, you know, I, I'll, I'll take you all the way back to the very beginning of the season. Jonathan Markstrom or Jacob Markstrom played the first game of the season for the Calgary Flames, despite the fact that he was pretty sick. He had a cold going into the game. The very next game, the Calgary Flames were in Edmonton to play against the Oilers. The scene of the crime, where where everything fell apart, you know, the, the, the in the spring the previous year against the Oilers for Markstrom, and the coach decided not to start Jacob Markstrom, and I know Markstrom was furious about this. He's never gone public with this, but I know that he was furious about it, and I think he started to wonder, Jesus, you know, is this coach lost faith in me? Are we going to be doing platooning more? Uh, have I lost my number one job? I don't think he really worried too much about that, but at the end of the day, he was never the same. Uh, well, he's never been the same since that Edmonton series. That's that's well documented, and uh, and I think his nose was that joint. And I think mentally this year he just struggled. He had a a child born late in the season, and shockingly, after the child was born, he played his best hockey of the year. So maybe now that he's had his kid, uh, maybe that the coach is gone. I certainly think there's a belief in the organization that those two things, you know, weighed on him. And now that you know he can get back to being, you know, two years ago he was the second best goalie in the world. And I think that they believe that without those impediments kind of weighing on his mind, he'll return to being, you know, one of the better goalies in the league. I'm trying to figure out how people are better at anything after having a newborn. <laughs> like, I, I think I was at my worst after my daughter was born because you don't sleep. Like, I understand that it's a different world, but this is, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, actually, because <laughs> I talked to Ken Weave about this with Connor Hellebuck, and he said that exact same thing. Like, this is, we forget how, you know, real life is they these players have real lives they are human beings we do forget about that because they are such public figures and we only see them at the rink or in the practice facility whatever the case may be but it's interesting that you bring that up about markstrom because i can imagine how that feels and i guess here's the other thing whatever happens with the goaltending situation dustin wolf is going to be a part of it talk you know you talked about mitch love not being able to prove anything at the ahl level anymore you could say the same thing about Dustin Wolf and that I I do wonder how much upside there is here with the Calgary Flames goaltending situation because yes there's going to be an adjustment for Dustin Wolf I get that but you know if they can if they can get both him and Markstrom going at the same time they might be in a lot better shape than people think Oh I I would agree and you know they're very high on Dan Vladar too the backup here and uh, he he now becomes uh, you know quite likely a very valuable trading chip and uh, here I'll throw out a fun one for you. I, I, I firmly believe that the next general manager of the Toronto Police is going to be Brad Trilliving. I've thought that for you know over six or seven months now. There was, if, if, if the Leafs lost early in the playoffs, uh, you, we all knew that Dubas probably wouldn't be back, and uh, I was pretty sure that Trilliving wouldn't be back here. I still believe he will be the GM, and I do think that you know with the Leafs needing a goalie, don't be surprised if Dan Vladar is someone who shows up at Toronto. I'm throwing out some wild predictions right now, but just remember I said that. Anyway, they, they do have to make some decisions with a number of their youngsters, and that was a big knock on, on Daryl Sutter here in this city, that Daryl Sutter just would not play young players. And he, he, he just basically said, I, I trust veterans. I know what I can get out of them. And I can't trust the young players. So whoever comes in to be the new head coach, and, and you can bet that Craig Conroy will be making this crystal clear, we are going to be playing a lot of young players this year. First of all, the salary cap dictates it for the Calgary Flames because they're right up against the cap. Second of all, it's time. It's time to start retooling on the fly for this organization. You're going to see Dustin Wolf. You're going to see uh, Jacob Belche. You're going to see Matt Coronado. These are, these are high draft picks for the Calgary Flames. In some cases, Wolf was like the fourth last pick taken, but his – 
without question, the best goalie in the world that's not in the National Hockey League. And uh, they're going to make room for these kids this year. So people in Calgary who, who are used to seeing veterans, overpaid veterans on the fourth line, can, can breathe a sigh of relief now because it'll be all kids now patrolling those jobs that are the low-paying ones. And, uh, and they're also the exciting young prospects. So how much does that affect what Craig Conroy does with guys with one more year left on their deals? You know, you look at, at Tyler Toffoli, you look at Elias Lindholm, um, you got Michael Backlund at 5.3 million. You know, they have Kadri locked up long-term. They have Huberto locked up long-term. Same with Mackenzie Weaker. Noah Hannafin's another name. Like Chris Tanev. Like there, there are a lot of guys here with one year left on their deals. How many of these guys do you, th- or do you think maybe they're all available? I mean, everybody's got a price as the million dollar man would say, but where do you think that ranks among importance for Craig Conroy and figuring out what the direction of this team is both immediately. And as it pertains to those guys, if you move them, what the future looks like as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think the Calgary flames, they certainly have said plenty Don Maloney and, 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 and this organization really does believe this till, team still is and can be very competitive. And I, I don't think there's any question that, given all that went wrong this year, if you brought back a very similar team next year, I still think they could challenge for the division. Uh, but, but, and, and you may very well see the bulk of this team come back this year. However, there are seven guys, and you alluded to a bunch of them there, who are one year away from unrestricted free agency. And I can tell you that under Daryl Sutter, it was very clear that probably six of those seven were gone. At least five of them had, had made up their mind. It was openly discussed in the dressing room that these guys wanted out. Now, things have changed now that Daryl Sutter's here. But at the end of the day, it's still a small market, very cold Canadian city with a crappy rink. And uh, they don't have favorable tax issues here, or, you know, tax situations here. There's a lot of reasons why I got a lot of guys would see the grass as being greener. And I'll say a pretty good example for you of that. Half this team, when we were in Florida this year playing against the Panthers, went over to Matthew Kachuk's house and had some drinks and some dinner and had a wonderful night. They saw his house on the water. They saw, you know, the jet skis in the backyard. They see the weather. And now they're watching Matthew Kachuk emerge as one of the the biggest superstars in the National Hockey League on a national stage, and he's living in in heaven. And uh, these guys all saw that, and they're all continuing to see that. And they can say, God, that could be me next. Maybe not a superstar, but at least that lifestyle. So I think uh, Craig Conroy is going to be, have his hands full trying to convince many of those guys to want to stay in Calgary of all places. And if he can't convince them that, and he's got to do it this summer, he needs to start making serious decisions on Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, and these guys to Foley. Because if they're not staying past next year, you need to know that right away, and you need to act right away. So he's got tough decisions on, do you trade away your best forward in Elias Lindholm? Mm, that's a pretty tough thing to do, but he might have to do that. That's probably uh, job number one, if you ask me, after hiring a coach. Well, and then you talked about the it not being a, a favorable situation. That's what a lot of teams have to make those decisions when they are in unfavorable situations so that they can bring in assets that are on maybe more team-friendly deals or they're younger guys who you know are still eligible to become restricted free agents. Like All of that plays into it. In your estimation, would it be Lindholm that would fetch you the most in the, any kind of a deal? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, I look around the league and I – I look at what uh, oh, was it Brock Besser last year, you know, uh, or sorry, Bo Horvath, the Islanders went Bo, to the Bo Islanders. Horvath. Bo Horvath. Bo went over to the Islanders and, and fetched a pretty penny, you know, right near the deadline there. Well, take whatever Bo Horvath got and, and, and add multiples to it, if you ask me, in terms of what Elias Lindholm would be worth this summer if 31 other teams were to have a chance to bid on him. I, he's by far the Calgary Flames' best player. He's, uh, he's certainly their best forward. This organization went basically three decades uh, without a, a top-line center. Ironically, the last guy who was even close to being a top center was Craig Conroy. So, um, you know, it's, they don't grow on trees, and they're going to have to make a tough, tough decision. But he will bring back a huge return. Uh, there's got to be teams out there that would kill for a 1-1A center who's a, who every year is one of the best defensive centers in the league as well, who also can score 40 goals. Like, what an incredible find that's going to be for someone. And so, yeah, I do think the Calgary Flames should and will cash in on someone like that. And, and just to take people back, we had Green Garbage Bag Day here and everybody said goodbye. We asked all these guys, you know, about the possibility of signing an extension. 
And Lindholm was the one who made it pretty crystal clear that he's got one year left and that's it. <laughs> there was a, He didn't really have a whole lot of words other than to say, yeah, I got one year and that's all I can say. So he wouldn't consider staying. Uh, well, and, and a, a very attractive uh, $4.85 million yeah. on that deal, which is also oh, a, yeah. a big component. Even if Calgary were to eat a little bit of it, it makes, you know, that means the price goes up. So it'd be very interesting to see what Craig Conroy does with this group. Okay, you mentioned Brad Treliving and, and your thought about him uh, being the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, that's who I kind of had penciled in at the top of my list. Now, there is... There's talk about maybe because the Toronto job is available, other people who are still under contract are going, hold on a second. Um, maybe I've got an out in this contract, but why is Brad Living such a good fit? Even whether it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, whether it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, whatever the case may be, what makes Brad Living such a great GM? Well, I, I think he's an incredible front man. Like he's so comfortable with the media. He builds these incredible relationships with the media, with the fan base. Uh, he, he sprinkles in humor but also lots of information. Uh, you know, it's so important in a media market like Toronto where you are comfortable in front of a microphone and or just dealing with the media or the public uh, and the scrutiny, and he can handle all that. That's not a problem. He's also not afraid to swing for the fences. I think it's pretty well documented, all the different things he's done over the years to really take a swing. I mean, look at Elias Lindholm. Acquiring Lindholm and Noah Hannafin from the Colorado or from Carolina years back for Dougie Hamilton. I mean, it was a five-player deal, but at the end of the day, this guy um, is—he's he, up to the task of—he's of, not scared, and that's that's crucial. And, and even Brendan Shanahan has kind of said that that he he needs someone who's not scared, who's comfortable with the media, who's comfortable uh, taking chances. And I, I I just think that his track record. Uh, now there are going to be people and say, well, the Calgary Flames never got out of the out of the second round in nine years that Trey Living was here. Fair enough. Fair enough. But the Calgary Flames had some pretty damn year, good years over the over that nine years and just never did get that, that playoff success. So his record may not suggest that he's the best candidate, but I can tell you that when you factor in everything, I do believe that he's a, he's the perfect fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, and I would not be surprised if he's named their next GM. It'll be very, very interesting around these parts, much like it will be in Calgary ahead of the press conference today, which we expect Craig Conroy, among others, may be announced uh, in new front office positions with the Flames, 12 p.m. Mountain Time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Eric, thanks as always for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Matt. Take care, my man. Always good chatting with you. There he goes. Eric Francis, sportsnet.ca. Again, Calgary Flames press conference, 12 p.m. Mountain, 2 p.m. Eastern. You can... I'm assuming we will be streaming that live on sportsnet.ca, and I'm assuming that you can listen to it on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. That is going to be a really interesting team this offseason. Like, we, it was Toronto, it was Winnipeg, and it was Calgary. And that was before we knew what was going to happen to Brad Treliving as the GM of the Calgary Flames. Now we know Craig Conroy is taking over. We also know that there are decisions to be made in regards to guys with one year left on their deals. We talked about the forwards, Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli. Um, they also have to make decisions on uh, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, maybe potentially Noah Hannafin. They also are going to probably bring up Dustin Wolf to start the year. So does that make Dan Vladar expendable? Because you're obviously not moving Jacob Markstrom. Calgary is one of the more interesting teams like that could be, it's going to be a very different team to watch anyway, because stylistically they will be different, but the personnel, you know, Eric talked about bringing up a bunch of young guys. We're going to see that in Calgary there. There's going to be a pretty substantial roster turnover. I believe who knows what they do in free agency, but I think they're going to be pretty active in the trade market. Like you don't want to hold on to, all of these guys ahead of the trade deadline. Like I would imagine that one or two of them are moved. And and Eric made mention of the return that you could get for Elias Lindholm was one of the best two-way players in the league. One year removed from a 40-goal year. Granted, he was playing with Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau, but still, the talent is certainly there. Craig Conroy is going to have a lot of work, but it's going to be fun. Like this is a position that you kind of want to be in 
as a general manager. You want to be able to put your stamp on the team. He's got Jonathan Huberdo locked up. Nazem Kadri locked up. Mackenzie Weger locked up. Jacob Markstrom locked up. All those done under Brad Treliving's watch. So there are core pieces in place. The question is, is how do you build around them? Are you going to keep Tyler Toffoli for the whole season? Is Elias Lindholm going to be back? Eric doesn't seem to think so based on his postseason availability. It's going to be a really fun offseason if you're in Calgary and you are a fan of the Calgary Flames. Again, press conference, 2 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Mountain, Sportsnet 960. You can listen. You can watch it on sportsnet.ca. When we come back, another team could go up 3-0. I mean, I kind of hope not. I like to talk about series that are still going on, but the Vegas Golden Knights have been pretty darn good. Daniel Negreanu, world champion poker and Vegas super fan. And I mean the preeminent Vegas super fan. I've watched the game with him. I know. We've talked a lot about it. He's the guy. Daniel Negreanu next on the Jeff Merrick Show with Matt Marchese. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Last block, Jeff Merrick Show. Tuesday, May the 23rd. See, when I don't do the lineup for Jeff, I forget what day it is. I just know it's Tuesday because the dog didn't get his meds this morning because he doesn't get them on Tuesday. This is how my world works. What a world I live in. Um, uh, just some just some housekeeping before we get going here. Uh, Paul Maurice, according to George Richards, optimistic that Sasha Barkov returns for game four. So he was just out of bar mitzvah. He wasn't lying. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that sound bite. And the Calgary Flames just making it official. Uh, Craig Conroy is the general manager. Dave Nonis joins the team as a senior vice president of hockey operations and assistant general manager. Okay, we got all of that out of the way. A very newsy day, as it usually is. Um, but we have a game three tonight. And who better to talk about his hometown team than multi-time World Poker Tour winner, World Series of Poker champion, and Vegas Golden Knights superfan, the preeminent superfan, Daniel Negreanu joins me on the program. Daniel, how are you today? I'm doing great. Pre- I wouldn't go that far as the preeminence, but uh, okay, if you say so. <laughs> I, I, You're at the top of my list. Listen, I've watched a game sitting in front of you in your seats. I know what kind of a fan you are. We had a conversation about all the jerseys that you have. You are the number one fan. I don't care what anybody says. You are the guy. And honestly, and I was just having this conversation with a producer here. Um, when you came in and you did some, you did an in-studio appearance with Bob McCallum when I was a producer on Primetime Sports, I remember having a conversation with you about your fantasy hockey league and how you guys draft AHL guys on your teams. When you told me that, I knew that you were a guy that knew exactly what he was talking about. So I trust your opinion on everything hockey. Oh, we go past just AHLers. I scouted <laughs> a kid when he was eight years old. His name was Jace Howerlick. He, he did make the NHL. I ended up, you know, 15 years later, he came to Vegas. And we went out to have some drinks and whatnot. But, yeah, we drafted him young in, in our league. That is <laughs> – it is it is one of my favorite stories about a fantasy league because I'm big into fantasy football and fantasy hockey, but yours is next level, so I, I think it's great. Um so Vegas is up to nothing. And I, and I was going over, I was going over your top five reasons why Vegas is where they are, why they're up to nothing in the series. And it was very well done. And I, again, I expect nothing less from you because you're such a, a smart hockey guy to you. What is the biggest reason why Vegas has gotten to where they are? Because you can talk about, you know, the improvements under Bruce Cassidy, although they're going up against Pete DeBoer, the former coach in Dallas, but what to you is the biggest reason why Vegas has had so much success this season? Well, in the top five tips that I wrote, I actually ranked them because I wanted number one to show that it was really just the depth on defense. If you look at our bottom two, if you will, it's, you know, you, when you look at Zach Whitecloud and uh, Nicholas Haig, uh, I'd say that our, that's arguably the best bottom two you will find in the league. And it's pretty interchangeable. And if you look at the other two pairs, you have, you know, a, an offensive minded D men like, 
Theodore with a responsible defensive defenseman in McNabb. On the top line, of course, you have you know Petrangelo, who's both, but then he's got Martinez with him to to back him up when need be. So that's really deep, and they're very and they're healthy right now. You know, they're healthy both on defense and more importantly, you know, at forward. The only place you look at and you say, okay, there's a laundry list of injuries, and that's goalie. But that hasn't seemed to matter. It's like they could throw you in the net, and you know they would say, "Wow, he he did great." Well, I don't know about that. Daniel. So <laughs> I don't know about. I'm, I'm giving you some props here. I don't know. But everyone who steps into that system as a goalie, you look at them. Even Jonathan Quick started out three and zero, and everyone's like, "Wow, he's been great." It's like it's the system. Bruce Cassidy has a system that everyone has really bought into, and they stick to it. You know, it's 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 funny that you mentioned that because you talked about the injuries, especially in net. But last year, like we can go back to last year, and and that season was derailed by injuries. Mark Stone got hurt. Alec Martinez was hurt. They got Jack Eichel, but he didn't arrive until basically March, and he still wasn't the same player. Certainly not the player that we've seen this season and in these playoffs. But you can go back to all those injuries. Probably ended up costing Pete DeBoer his job. He lands in Dallas, has an incredible season there. But if all that doesn't happen, Bruce Cassidy may not end up in Vegas with the Golden Knights because they probably make the playoffs and Pete DeBoer is still the coach. Not saying that's good or bad, but you talk about the structure and what Bruce Cassidy has brought. There's a lot of things that led them to this, and it ended up working out really well for for Bruce Cassidy and the Golden Knights. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say what they would have done. To put it mildly, the, the organization has a itchy finger when it comes to moving on from coaches when they – you know, unceremoniously got rid of Gerard Gallant, you know, in midseason and then replaced him with DeBoer. A lot of people shook their heads. and So we don't know what would have happened in that regard. But you're absolutely right in Bruce Cassidy. I think what he's done is he's looked at the talent here. And for the first time ever in the, in the franchise history, we have a third line. And the reason for that is this. Most teams, they top their top six, right? You take your six best forwards, you put them on line one and line two, you get whatever's left over on line three and four. Bruce Cassidy figured out a way to have depth all, all the way down, where basically what he's done is he's taking pairs and then put a third player on that line. So instead of putting his top six in the top six, he splits them two, two, and two. So on your quote-unquote third line, that's led by Ch- uh, Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone. you got Carlson, you got Smith, and then you've got uh, Eichel with uh, Mark so. And then, of course, like I said, you know, you just sort of fill it in with a complementary player, and then you have a traditional fourth line, you know, a bigger, stronger you know, grinded outline. So he's really found a way to make the most out of what's there. Because on paper, when you look at some of the players on the, you know, the, 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 the tertiary player on the line, to steal one from uh, Stewie, um, you know, they're not exactly big names, but uh, like a Brett Howden, for example, but they fit in and they complement the other, you know, the other two very well. Yeah, they have such good balance. And, and that's why, you know, when you bring in a guy like Jack Eichel and they brought in Mark Stone years previous, but, to bring in Jack Eichel, you know, in what it ends up being, because everybody wanted to jump all over that trade and say, you know, I, I was one. I, I thought that Vegas really stole Jack Eichel from Buffalo. It turns out Alex Tuck has had a really, really solid impact with the Sabres and, and Peyton Krebs, I think, will get there along with those picks. But you're talking superstar level player. And there were times during the season where Jack Eichel, he went through some lulls and whatever, but now he looks like the guy that everybody expected. He may actually be even better than what we expected. And Mark Stone said it with Scott Oak uh, on the, on the post game after the uh, the win the other night about their best player and talking about Jack Eichel. What is it meant to have that real superstar talent up front and and especially seeing him grow to the point where he's returned to form as that superstar player that we expected? Yeah, well, Jack Eichel specifically is one of my other top five reasons and. You know, when you looked at, you know, this guy's career, he's never been in the playoffs. So a lot of people didn't know what to expect with him. And in the first game he plays in the playoffs, he's a minus three with one shot. And people go, uh-oh, everyone in Buffalo is saying, I told you so. But since that point, he's been a game breaker. And again, another thing that the Vegas Golden Knights never really had um, and really important in the playoffs is a number, a true number one center who's a game breaker who can create from nothing. And Jack Eichel's able to do that. You know, in past years, you've seen Vegas sort of, get stalled in the playoffs where up, oh, they run into a hot goalie and they just can't score. Was that the case? Is it really just that they always happen to run into a hot goalie? Are they that unlucky? Or was it just that teams started to figure out, okay, we know how to defend this team. They don't have game breakers. So let's just hold the fort, right? Make them shoot from the outside and, you know, we'll keep the front clear. With Eichel, if you look at that game-tying pass that he made, right? You know, that, that Incredible. was a highly skilled play that, you know, maybe we didn't have on our roster, you know, previously. 
Yeah, he's been just incredible to watch. Daniel Negreanu, world champion poker player uh, and Vegas Golden Knights superfan. The number one Vegas Golden Knights superfan. Joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Um, Speaking of Eichel, there was, and maybe this was just outside noise and it wasn't, you know, directly coming from the Vegas fan base, but there were some that talked about loyalty with this front office and maybe even the ownership group just with, you know, moving on from players who may have been fan favorites. And and it is still a business, but, you know, it started with Marc-Andre Fleury and Nate Schmidt and then it was Alex Tuck. But in reality, and this is a, a number from my pal Jonathan Davis at NHL Network Radio, Vegas has 14 players from the 2019-2020 roster on this squad. That's the most returning players in that time frame of the remaining four teams. So the question maybe isn't about loyalty and that maybe this is just a, a whole thing that's overblown because it was the names of the players that they traded away and not necessarily the quantity of players that they moved out. Yeah, I don't think it was about the quantity. I think it's about the way in which it was done. And I think it started before then. I, start, I think it started, the first moment when people went, what is going on, was when Gerard Gallant was slated to be the all-star coach because they had, you know, teams in first. And they lost four games for the first time ever, and they just axed him. And, you know, people were kind of in shock. Then, of course, you know, you have the flurry stuff and, and, and whatnot. But a lot of people were just upset in the, probably in the ways that it was done. And I think for, for, from a player's perspective, you sign like a seven-year deal here in Vegas if you're Alex Tuck or something like that, and you look at, okay, I'm here for the long haul. Maybe I gave him a hometown discount or whatnot, and they ship me out. Same with Nate Schmidt and these sort of things. So what looked like pieces that were being told that are going to be part of the franchise long-term and a guy like Flurry, who was told, you will retire here. We will never trade you. You were good. So it comes from there, really, right? It's not. It's less about the, everyone understands the business, right? It's a, it's a question of like, so you're telling me that Mark Andre Fleury, the face of this franchise, the most beloved guy, had to find out on Twitter that he's been traded to the Blackhawks? Like, I don't know. I feel like you can do things um, a little better on the way out. Obviously, everybody wants to come play here, but, you know, when you leave, often you leave unceremoniously. And and that's and that leads me to my next thing with Bill Foley. And he's he has made it very, very clear that he wants to win a Stanley Cup and in short order, uh, as we've seen with the moves that he's made. I, I admire a guy that wants to win. And and for you being part of that fan base, is that something that is is noticeable that the fan base appreciates that? Or is this just, you know, this is the way Bill Foley does business and however he does it is is his problem. Um, but we're kind of happy that he's our owner here because of the fact that he just wants to win. Yeah, you know, when he when he when he bought the team, he told everyone in the city, you know, cup and six. And it looks like he's got a shot, you know, this year to to get it done, like a very clear, good path um, on the way to a potential uh, Stanley Cup. As far as, you know, the city, I think they're spoiled, right? I mean, you look at other cities around, like, look at those poor Toronto Maple Leafs. They finally run won a playoff series, right? That's the big, you know, hurrah where, you know, here in Vegas, all they've known is success. You know, we had one season where we didn't make the playoffs last year, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of injuries. But outside of that, the team has been considered a contender since year one, you know, and of course, when that team was first drafted, every pundit, I listened, every single pundit said, this could potentially be the, the epically, the most epically bad NHL team of all time, right? That's what people said at the beginning of the season. They make the finals, and now those same people are saying, well, it's not fair. They were gifted all these players. I'm like, that's not what you said when the team was put together, <laughs> right? You're like, William who? William Carlson? What's that? You know, he went from scoring, I think it was six goals the previous season in Columbus to 43 which won't happen again, but you know, a lot of crazy things happened that first season. Yeah, they sure did. Well, I remember being at a game. It was a, it was against St. Louis. It was the inaugural season. It was Easter weekend. It was my only ever appearance in Vegas. And by the way, it was fantastic. And I can't wait to go back, but I remember watching it and it was kind of the fan base. First of all, everything that goes on outside the arena before the game is amazing. Whether it be the bar scene just outside T-Mobile, whatever the case may be, there's just a lot going on. I mean, that's Vegas to a T, but it's really cool to see outside the arena. You go in, they've got the whole light show, the whole intro, everything is fantastic. The arena is great. But at that point, it almost felt... Like the the fan base was just, we're happy to be here. We're happy to have an NHL franchise. How much has that changed in terms of now the expectation is, and you talked about it with Bill Foley, the expectation is this team needs to be a contender or we we expect it to be a contender because we've had a lot of success here in just a short amount of time. Yeah, no question. The fan base has become educated rather quickly. And I remember, you know, the first season in the preseason, people were like, why are they stopping the play? And I'd have to say 
That's called icing. You know, <laughs> people didn't really understand the game, you know, all that much. But now, you know, you listen to the fan base. They're much more knowledgeable. They expect a lot more. Like, here's the deal, right? The Vegas Golden Knights, if you look at their pipeline, right, they have mortgaged the future completely. There is no next coming. You know, there is no, nobody coming up in the pipeline. They're in sort of a Pittsburgh Penguins-like situation where, you know, they've, they've given away draft picks that they stockpiled and stuff to try to win now. So they're in their window right now. And I think the fan base kind of understands that now, that, you know, this specifically this year, if you think about how lucky they've been in the sense that when they played the Jets, Jets were missing three top six guys and Josh Morrissey. You know, Boston's out, Colorado's out. They were able to dispatch of Edmonton. Skinner just didn't show up, right? So now you're looking at potentially, you're, you're 2-0 up in a series in the conference final. You might play, I don't know if you want to, you might play an eight seed, right? <laughs> Who happens to have a goalie who's lights out right now. But when you look at a path of what you expect, you might not see a better one towards the cup than you do this year. Yeah, it's if they can go there again, it's going to be a hell of a story. And and it looks good right now because, you know, and, and both games have gone to overtime and, and that's as close as it gets. You know, you could, the same thing goes for the Eastern Conference final. But, you know, there there's one guy that, and, and aside from Jack Eichel, because he is a star, but, but Mark Stone's a star as well. And I'm just curious to see, how appreciative the fan base is of him because there's one thing about Mark Stone. Not only is he a great player, but he loves playing like, and he loves scoring goals. Does that, does that get, I guess that is something that gets noticed by the fan base, but is that something that is maybe appreciated about Mark Stone that he just loves playing the game and he's also really darn good at it? Yeah, no, you're not, you're not wrong. Mark Stone, you know, he represents like the old school hockey player, right? Like in the bubble, Oh, uh, you know, the, the Vegas Golden Knights lost to Montreal. And if you watch Stone, everyone sort of had a, well, what's, what's he doing out there? And, you know, he said he was fine. He wasn't hurt. Everyone knew he was really hurt. And later, DeBoer recently, you know, before the series started, admitted that he was hurt. So this guy plays through it, right? We know that he's had these back issues and he's a grinder. This isn't a guy who was a first-round pick. He was picked in the sixth round. Because, you know, people looked at his skating and said, no, this guy will never make the NHL. But he's so wicked smart. He's so good with his stick. Defensively, as a winger, he affects the game like very few wingers in the league you'll ever see on the defensive end. He just really knows where to be. It's not because he's got the foot speed. Um, and he's just got that tenacity. When this guy scores a goal, you know, you look at his face. And I know, you know, America's mentioned this many times. Like, nobody looks happier. <laughs> you know, it's, it's impossible to look happier than Mike Smart Stone when he scores a goal. Yeah, it really is. Like, his celebrations where he's, like, jumping into the glass. And, and he's almost happier when other people score goals. Because his reactions to those are of legend. And that's why... I feel like a guy like that, especially him being your captain, really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the guys on the team. Again, it's it, it's a team that does have stars. It has Alex Petrangelo. It has Jack Eichel. It has um, Mark Stone himself. But when you look at the rest of the roster, like, again, there's a lot of guys that have been there for a few seasons now. And Mark Stone just really does feel like a guy that kind of brings everything all together because he does go into the dirty areas, but he can also play a skill game. He's responsible defensively, but he's incredible at the offensive end as well. Like he feels like kind of the perfect captain for that team. Yeah, no question. It's lead by example. It's not, it's not like you don't expect Mark Stone in the locker room to be the raw, raw guy in a big way. He leads by example. You know, this is a guy like we, we know he's been playing hurt and playing through it. He does all the right things. You know, he, he plays the game the right way. If you will, he's bought into the system that, you know, Cassidy's uh, implemented here in Vegas and, you know, everyone else has followed suit. So yeah, he, he seems like, you know, if you had to pick one guy to be the captain, I think they made the right choice. No question about it. Uh, just one more before we let you go here. The, we always talk about the unheralded guys. And I mean, we mentioned Chandler Stevenson a lot on this show, so I don't know how unheralded he is anymore, but he plays such a big role on the team. And the other guy that's been kind of the perfect fit there, and, and maybe you could talk about both of them, Ivan Barbashev has really fit well playing on that line with Eichel and Marcia. So, and he just, he brings that, he has an element of speed, he's physical, he can score, he goes to the dirty areas. Like both of those guys are kind of, when you look at like the perfect playoff type players, those guys really fit the bill. Well, it's funny. As soon as you said unheralded, the first two names that went to my head was Stevenson and Barbashev. And Stevenson, like you said, you know that was that was in the history of the franchise. I think the best deal they ever made yep. for a fifth round pick from Washington, a guy that just didn't look like he was ever going to be top six. And he's been a Swiss Army, Army knife here for Vegas. He came in, played the fourth line center, left wing on the first line. You, they throw him everywhere, and he fits right. 
then you you add in at the deadline, um, you know, a, a guy like Barbashev, which is a, which seemed like a minor deal, but this team really could use a guy like that, you know. And like you said, he's really fit in. You know, he plays the game hard, um, and he's a complimentary player on that line with with Eichel and Marchessault, and you know, gives them a different dynamic. You know, he's a guy that can go into the corners and pick out pucks and things like that. So, so yeah, the, you know, their forward depth. When you look at really the team itself, uh, Michael Amadio hasn't played really in the playoffs. And Phil Kessel, who started the playoffs, he played four games, not a single goal scored against him when he was on the ice. He had two assists. He hasn't played a game since because they're that healthy, right? And, you know, they just don't, you know, I guess he's not exactly a a Bruce Cassidy type, you know, forward, um, (laughs) to say the least. But, uh, you know, so you just look at that depth right now and you think, you know, they're, they're running, they're running pure, if you will. In poker, we would use that term running pure, like running really, really lucky in every way and, you know, playing the game the right way. And it's, it's working out for him. Like you said, this Dallas series could easily be two zero the other way. Yeah. Uh, just actually, I, I lied one more quick one uh, before we let you go. I got about a minute here looking at, I, I talked about this with Mike McKenna earlier, a uh, former Vegas golden Knights analyst. The play of Aiden Hill has been really impressive. Now, some of it has to do with, you know, like you mentioned the Bruce Cassidy system in front of him, but you know, there, there is a chance that if this team wins the Stanley Cup, that, that Aiden Hill may end up being a, a front runner for the cons might if he keeps playing the way that he's playing right now. Yeah, I don't know if he'll, he's going to be more like of a cons might type player than Eichel, but I did predict when before the season started, I predicted Aiden Hill would end up being the starter. I really felt that way. Logan Thompson, you know, a rookie, you know, that's difficult on the body. I felt like injuries might take a role, play, play a role. And also because Aiden Hill is the perfect type of goalie for the system. He's a low, sort of like a low event goalie, if you will, where, you know, there's not a lot going on, but he's solid. You know, he's where he needs to be. And, uh, you know, he's fit in really well. He jumped in. Actually, I almost feel like LB going down when he did, La Boisson, was like another streak of a little bit of luck for them because Hill was ready to play and he's been fantastic. And it felt like maybe LB was slipping a little bit from the wear and tear. It's tough to play goal every other night when the most games you've played in a season ever for LB was 24. So everything working out, the stars aligning, pardon the pun. Yeah. And, and uh, not a significant, and uh, not an insignificant injury that he was coming back from. So everything is coming up aces. I know that's a really bad pun, uh, but it's really working out for Vegas. Daniel, thank you so much for taking some time for me. Always full value when you come on and love your hockey insight. Uh, thanks again for, for chatting with me. Appreciate it. Anytime, bud. There he goes. Daniel Negreanu, world champion poker player and the number one, Vegas Golden Knights super fan. Not even a question. Like I said, watched the game in his seats, sat in front of him, and he is diehard. I think he had a Thomas Noshek jersey. Pretty sure that he did. He might have even had a Will Carrier jersey. Pretty sure he did. Like, he's Daniel's hardcore. And he is a smart hockey guy. Okay, uh, just to, to take care of some other things before we end the show. So there was some more... Um, Calgary Flames news that was in the release that uh, because I had skimmed over it, I did not see everything. Um, but what we do know is, as we mentioned, uh, Craig Conroy, general manager, Dave Nona, senior VP of Hockey Ops and assistant GM. Brad Pascal signs an extension. He's the VP of Hockey Ops and assistant GM. Chris Snow, who Elliot mentioned, also signing an extension, the VP of data and analytics and assistant general manager. There you have it. So that press conference will air Sportsnet 960 also, sportsnet.ca will have it as well. Thank you very much to my guests that joined me on the show today. Elliot Friedman, of course, as he starts off every show, A Block Elliot. Mike McKenna, daily faceoff and former NHL goaltender. Eric Francis, who laid everything out for us in Calgary. And, of course, Daniel Negreanu, who you just heard. Premier poker player, one of the best to ever do it, and Vegas Golden Knights superfan. For Jen Rolnick, behind the glass for Lance Kennedy, I'm Matt Marchese. Jeff is back tomorrow. Thanks for listening and watching the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet Now, and Sportsnet 360. Talk to you later.